Thank you for coming out on a very wet and cold early Sunday evening. Nice to see you all. What we're going to do is I'm going to share some stuff about the prophetic, and then we're going to break down into groups and have a go. Now, when we break down into groups, I'd like you as much as possible to be with people you don't know so well, okay? If you just have a group of your best friends, then it's harder to do the exercise if you have people you're not so sure about. So I have no idea how I'm going to break you down. I'll either ask Nigel to do it or I'll let you all do it yourselves. Um, but anyway, so and, and it's going to be dead easy. We're just going to use, I'll show you in a minute at the end, we're just going to use some nice cards um, to um, pro- provoke us um, in prophetically. Um, still there, that light. Can we take that? Okay. Okay, lesson number five. Know your building. <laughs> All right, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, and I'm sure by the end they'll have found the light. <laughs> um, so let me just pray first. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to God. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy. Um, We thank you, Lord. You are a good God. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, now when I share, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit. You'd encourage us to really step out in particularly this, um, this spiritual gift of prophecy, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd really help us to step into this, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'd just come and touch us and fill us afresh anoint us afresh. And I pray, Lord, tonight there'll be uh, not just we'll just learn a few things, but actually there'll be some really helpful prophetic words that people will get for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. I thought they went off. They've come back on again. I just want them down. That's, that's it. Just get them down. That's it. That's fine. Don't leave. That's it. Okay, I can see people. I was on a stage in Dubai in, when was it, October, and they went for the whole... Um, uh, kind of like um, rock concert look. And I, I couldn't see a thing. I'm on the stage. I can't see a thing. I cannot see the front row or anything. So this is, this is a lot better than that. Okay, so, so five foundations of prophecy. I'll just give you a brief introduction, my introduction of what prophecy is, and then I'm going to go through these five things. And these are kind of like the five uh, important things that you build prophecy on um, so that, it becomes a safer gift because it's a sort of gift that you can, if it's, how can I put it? Um, it it's, it's, an e- it's a gift that you can easily manipulate because when you suddenly say, well, God is saying in some way, suddenly it's, oh, okay, God's saying. So actually what you want to then deliver is going to be something helpful. So that's kind of where we're going. Okay, but really prophecy is quite simply hearing something from God and then communicating it to another person. Hearing something of revelation, hearing something that you didn't know or um, that you weren't aware of, but God wants to say to that person. So I call it like the now word from God for a person, a church, a movement, or a nation. And you might think, oh, how can I hear something from God? But actually, the Bible says that Jesus says, you know, my sheep hear my voice. And so when we become Christians, we all get to hear the voice of God. We get to hear the voice of Jesus. Sometimes we have to learn what that voice sounds like. Sometimes we have to get used to him. 
get familiar with his voice. If we, before we're Christians, we were not hearing the voice of God. And then when we become Christians, we begin to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit, begin to learn the ways that God speaks to us. So we can all, as Christians, we can all hear uh, the voice of God. And all authentic prophecy comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It has its origin in God. Um, so 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And so that's the Bible's definition of prophecy. It's as men and women, of course, uh, speak from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Another definition is that uh, prophecy is God's love letter to us, which I like that because it kind of gives us an insight into what the fundamental thing we're doing is. It's to do with love. Uh, so Mother Teresa once said, I'm a little pencil in the hands of a loving God who sends love letters to the world. So when you look at it like that, you can think, actually, I could be that pencil. I could be the one who is giving love letters to other people from God. And in his desire to communicate with us, as well as through the Bible, and we'll mention that in a bit, he speaks individually and corporately to us today. Isn't it amazing that God speaks to us? It's incredible, isn't it, that God actually wants to speak? You know, who are we to hear the voice of God? You know, the great creator of the whole universe. Um, the one who put all the stars in, in space. The one who holds everything together by his powerful word. We exist because he, he chooses to keep sustaining us. Uh, all the time. It's a conscious choice of God to sustain the universe, and we can hear the voice of God. I think it's amazing. I mean, it could sound arrogant, couldn't it, um, if we're not careful. Certainly people who don't know God could say, oh, you're a bit arrogant. You know, you know well, what God's saying. You know, it could always be a bit loony, couldn't it? You know, yeah, you're hearing voices, are you? You know, what's all that about? But we hear the voice of God. Isn't that amazing? I think it's incredible uh, that God speaks, and that God would speak through you. God would speak through me. Um, you know, God could proclaim everything from heaven. He could use angels, but he chooses to use imperfect people like you and me. That's the incredible nature of this loving God uh, who we serve. So prophecy really is, <clears throat> is about developing our relationship with God. So I hear something from God and then I speak it uh, to somebody else. And that kind of like, it begins to create a relationship as God speaks and, and trusts me and I start uh, speaking to somebody else on God's behalf. And prophecy is often in line with what God has already been speaking to about the person as well. So it's often a confirmation because we can all hear the voice of God. So God might be speaking to you about something and then somebody else brings a prophecy and it confirms what you were thinking. It confirms your thoughts. You think, oh, is God saying that? Should I be doing this? And then somebody brings a word and you think, yes, actually that's right. So confirmatory prophecies are lovely. So that's kind of like my very broad <clears throat> introduction to it. So what are these five foundational truths of prophecy? Okay, the first one is this. That in the new covenant, that's our covenant, of course, in the new covenant, all God's people can prophesy. Okay? So that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? That means you. <laughs> it means you and me. We can all prophesy. The degree to which we prophesy will vary greatly. Some people will prophesy a lot. They'll use the gift a lot. They'll exercise it a lot. It will be their main spiritual gift. Some people will only prophesy a few times. Some people will just very, very occasionally bring a kind of a prophetic word. So we do all prophesy different amounts, and that's absolutely fine. 
but all God's people can prophesy. When you read the Old Testament, most prophecy came from prophets or occasionally priests and kings. And so the Holy Spirit came on a few key individuals for certain tasks or roles in Israel. But they weren't the majority of the population. Just think about that, actually, in the Old Covenant. You know, you've got Israel before God. They're not hearing directly from God like you and I hear, uh, which placed an even more important role on people like Moses and that to to share what God is saying to the people because they did not have the Holy Spirit to hear God. We'll touch on that again in a moment. But, you know, the office... Um, of, of prophet as well as priest and king, they all reach their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is our prophet, Jesus is our priest, and Jesus is our king. And because we are in Christ, we get to share in his ministry of prophet, priest, and king. Okay, Therefore, we are a prophetic people. We're a prophetic people because we are in Christ and he is our prophet. And so, We can all prophesy. And the outworking of this was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on all the believers. I'm sure you know the story. I'll read you a few of the verses again. Peter explains what happened at Pentecost by quoting the prophet Joel, although he actually changed Joel's prophecy very slightly. Um, Peter said, in the last days, he stands up. You know, the Spirit's been poured out. They're speaking in tongues. There's all sorts of things going on. People are gathering. There's a crowd. And Peter stands up and addresses and explains the thing that has just happened, which I think is an amazingly brave thing for Peter to do. To in that moment process this incredible moment of history. Um, And he gets it. Obviously, he gets it spot on. Um, But he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. There you go. Pour out my spirit on all people, meaning all God's people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're male, whether you're female, even if you're a servant, thank you, um, you can prophesy. That's what the prophet Joel, he's looking forward to this day. And then Peter says at Pentecost, this day has now come. The fulfillment of that prophecy has now happened. And that's what's going on in this kind of crazy moment in Jerusalem. Um, So that's the basis on which we theologically say that all Christians can prophesy. But um, just to give us a bit more depth to that, um, Pentecost was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. There's a story in the Old Testament that foreshadows Pentecost, and that's in Numbers 11. And it's the story of Moses and the 70 elders. And just reading that will help us understand Pentecost a bit more as well. So the Lord said to Moses, because Moses needed help in leading the nation. He, he seemed to have this problem regularly, actually, Moses, because it happens in another place as well. And Jephro has to step in. So Moses is trying to hold this nation together, and he needs help. <clears throat> and so God says, hang on, I'll give you a hand here. It says, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. That's a common thing that Moses was experiencing. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you, and I'll put it on them. 
So this is an exciting moment. And then that's 11, that's 11, 16 to 17. And then 11, 25, it says, when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Then funnily enough, it says, but they did not do so again. So they had these, I wonder what these one-off prophecies were. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> um, they had this kind of moment of the spirit coming and the authenticity authentication that the Spirit has come as they start speaking the words of God. It's authenticating that they have the same Spirit that was on Moses, uh, um, who obviously is, 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 is known as a prophet. So, God has now raised up Jesus, who is a prophet like Moses. And so at Pentecost, God's people gather again, like the 70 gathered with Moses. So God's people are gathering again for another outpouring of the Spirit. Okay? And this time, God takes the Holy Spirit that has rested on Jesus and anoints the 120 with the same Spirit. And they too prophesy by declaring the wonders of God. Um, I've thought... Why did they only do it once in numbers? And it's not a conclusive answer, but I wonder whether it's just because it's foreshadowing a future event. It's like a, it's like a little sign of something that was going to happen. Um, <clears throat> and so anyway, but it also authenticated the spirit. So also the, the link between those two, 70 is a very symbolic uh, for the Jews because it refers to the nations of the world mentioned in Genesis 10. So again, that foreshadows Pentecost where the nations had gathered in Jerusalem. And the people said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So the whole idea of speaking, the whole speaking in tongues thing that we get from Pentecost. What they're really doing there, they're not actually speaking in tongues the way we would speak in tongues probably in a meeting. They are, they are declaring the wonders of God in various different languages. It's more like, you know, you're fairly ethnically diverse as a church, I think. Certainly more than, more than we are in Worthing. Um, and it's like suddenly uh, the Spirit comes and people are speaking in the languages of your ethnic origin. It's a bit more like that uh, that happened at Pentecost. And Moses said in Numbers 11.29, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. And it's like that's a prophecy because that was then fulfilled at Pentecost. So Moses is foreshadowing Pentecost. He's the prophet. Jesus is the one to come who will be like Moses. Jesus will do the things that Moses did and greater things. And that's exactly what happens at Pentecost. It's a replication of Numbers 11 when the Spirit came. And here at Pentecost, the Spirit now comes. But instead of just prophesying once, the people gathered are now prophesying all the time. And all of us now who have the Spirit poured out on us can prophesy. It's not just the 120. We found then as you go through Acts, the Spirit comes again and again and again, and prophecy comes again and again and again. And so we're, all, we're in a covenant where a sign of it is actually uh, the, the Spirit coming and the activation of spiritual gifts. And um, prophecy is a big part of that. So that was my first foundation, that everybody in the New Covenant, every Christian can prophesy. Secondly, then, what is prophecy for? Why do we even do it? And I'll give you three answers to this. One is to build up the body of Christ, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So prophecy is given for the common good. It's given for each other that we can be built up together. 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So, so prophecy is like 
it's like God's grace that you're using to serve others. So when you bring a prophecy, let's just say you're bringing a prophecy to an individual, you're serving that individual, okay? It's a grace gift. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So I say that those are, by and large, those are the, those are the prerequisites of prophecy. It should be strengthening or upbuilding is the real word, encouraging and comfort. One of those three things. So your prophecy is for the common good of others. Um, you know, prophetic words, they, they contain life and power to change situations and to change people. And it's, I think prophecy is a wonderful thing, but prophecy never condemns and it never discourages people. Instead, it builds up the body of Christ through comforting, strengthening, encouragement. So that's the first, the first thing is to build up the body. The second purpose is for gospel advance. We won't look at the scripture, but 1 Corinthians 14, 24, 25. It talks about an unbeliever coming into the meeting and being brought under a conviction of sin, really, or a conviction of wonder when their hearts... Uh, actually, it shouldn't be, I've, I've got to change those notes. It's not really a conviction of sin. Um, that, that, that They come into the meeting and somebody prophesies their heart and they, suck, and they actually acknowledge God is here. So I don't mean... I've got to change that. I don't mean that they come in and somebody says... You wicked person, you did this and that the other day. That's not really going to help them. They're going to probably run out of the building and never come back again. But it's like, it's like somebody coming to the meeting who's an unbeliever, and then suddenly somebody prophesies something so accurate about them, they think, wow, how did you know that? How did, you, how did that, you know, gosh, God is really real, isn't he? Um, I, 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 did, I did some stuff in Lesotho a few years ago now. It was with Christians, not an unbeliever. But I remember one of the guy, one of the leaders saying, and he then went out and tried it in his village. And he came back and said, wow, this thing really works. <laughs> it really works, doesn't it? It really, really works. And so that's kind of like what, the, what it is for the unbeliever to come in to your presence. Somebody gives them a helpful prophetic word, but it just tells them they are known by God. They are loved by God, that God knows something about their life. I'm just going to take the word sin out of there. That's old notes. There we go. I've taken it out. Right, okay. So prophecy can open the door for somebody's conversion uh, in a meeting or a similar. And then uh, thirdly, prophecies for kingdom expansion. Uh, in Acts 13.2, again, I'm sure you know these verses. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And so what happens here is an apostolic church planting movement comes from a prophetic word during a time of worship. They're before God. And it says, you know, um, when the Holy Spirit says set apart, that didn't come from some uh, voice up the mountain. That might have happened in the old covenant. In the new covenant, it comes from one of the people that's gathered. Somebody brings a prophetic word. I feel God is saying, set apart Barnabas and Saul. It's a prophetic word that's come. And they're praying about it, and they're thinking about it. They conclude, yeah, this is God. They test the word, and they say, yeah, this is God. And so this is an amazing moment when prophecy will bring a kingdom advance. Um, we had a prophetic word as a church um, some years ago now, when we used to be Jubilee Church. Uh, and the word was basically... Uh, to plant five churches within an, within an hour's drive. That depends how fast you drive and whether it's a Sunday or not. But we understand the sentiment, five local churches is kind of how we understand. 
And uh, within a year, we had then planted off the basis of that word. Suddenly, this opportunity arose, a, a very odd opportunity arose, to get hold of an Anglican building in Littlehampton, which is like uh, 15 miles down the road, another little town on the coast. And um, we thought, oh, what are they trying to do? Ask us to move town. <laughs> you know, they want the whole church to move. Oh, hang on a minute. It's not about us relocating. It's about us planting. We never got that building. It all fell through. But it resulted in a church being planted in Littlehampton, and we had this word. And we're now actively pursuing it, saying after all the pandemic and all that stuff happened, we're now saying, okay, where's the next church to plant? So this, this prophetic word is kind of propelling kingdom expansion in terms of planting churches. Okay, the third thing. We're doing five foundations of prophecy. Okay, so foundation number one, in the new covenant we can all prophesy. Foundation number two, we've just talked about what is prophecy for, those three things. And then the third foundation is this. Prophecy never contradicts scripture, but it affirms it. Very, very important. Because true prophecy comes from God, he's the author of both scripture and prophecy. Now, what sort of God would he be if he said one thing, if he wrote one thing in the book and said a different thing to you or me? That would be like double-minded. I mean, all sorts of words could come to mind. Um, And God isn't like that. So what he says to us will never contradict what he has already written in Scripture, okay? Um, Scripture always sits above prophecy every time, okay? So if the two are at odds of each other, Scripture is always right, and you have to rethink the prophetic word. But one little caveat to test this, both the giver of the prophecy and the receiver of the prophetic word needs to know what Scripture says to understand its meaning. So it is so so the Bible is really important. You know, we need to understand our Bibles, um, both in terms of am I, am I what I'm bringing is that is that in line with Scripture, and also uh, what I've just received is that in line with Scripture. Um, so if anybody wants to grow in the prophetic, I always encourage them to understand your Bible more. I think the more you understand the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit will use you in various ways. Okay, fourth foundation. Prophecy is incomplete. 1 Corinthians 13, 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Okay? So all prophecy is shaped through our character and our understanding. And God knows that. God is not phased by the limitations of your character and the limitations of your understanding. He will work through you. To bring his words. He will work, he understands that. It doesn't cause God a problem. But um, our prophecy is shaped for a casual understanding, and it's not the same as thus says the Lord in the Old Testament. Okay? Come back to that in a moment. Therefore, prophecy has to be weighed by those who hear it. Paul said to the Thessalonians, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good. The interesting thing about that verse is he he wrote that to a church that was less than a year old. And he's suddenly saying, so, so, so they're getting lots of prophecies in their meetings straight after the birth of the church. And he spent a bit of time with them, but he had to flee Thessalonica because there's a whole mob trying to, trying to get him. So he has to flee. And then when Timothy goes and looks at what's happening and then comes back and gives a report to Paul, then he writes the letter. And uh, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. I wonder what was happening there. <clears throat> um, 
maybe treating prophecies with contempt was actually just accepting them all. That's interesting, isn't it? He's saying you've got to test them and hold on to what is good. So there was clearly lots of prophetic activity in the church. So there clearly should be lots of prophetic activity in a church because Paul addresses it in one of the first early letters that he writes. In the Old Testament, the emphasis was on the prophet giving the word. So they had to be absolutely sure they'd heard God first. I mean, you look at some of the things Old Testament prophets prophesy. Who'd want to do that? Who'd want to prophesy some of these, you know, nasty things that they seem to prophesy at times? Some of the incredibly, you know, challenging things. Because if they got it wrong, they were considered a false prophet. So in the Old Testament, the prophet's word was like Scripture, actually. And of course, some of that does become Scripture for us. But you see, in the New Testament, the emphasis switches from the giver of the word to the receiver of the word. And the emphasis now switches for us to to, to weigh it ourselves. So that's why Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good. So his emphasis with the prophetic in the New Testament is it's on you who hear the words. You who hear those words, you have to weigh them, you have to decide what is good, and you have to you know, let go of what is not good. His emphasis isn't an Old Testament emphasis where, oh, everything the prophet said is right. Can you see? He would have written a very different thing in 1 Thessalonians if it was all based on the prophet giving absolutely 100% accurate words. But it isn't. It's based on us receiving the word. And so that emphasis has switched. And the good news is this. It frees us up to learn how to hear God's voice. Because we learn. Prophecy is about learning. It's about leaning into God. It's about, you know, and so sometimes if I get like a sense of what God wants to say, but I don't understand it, I'll say, what do you mean, God? What was all that about? Or, or, I once, I, I, I had the strangest thing once. I, I, I had a picture of an aeroplane in my mind. It's in a, it was in a church staff meeting a few years ago. And I said, Lord, why are you showing me an airplane? I don't understand it. Show me a different, give, give me the picture in a different way. And then I saw a boat. <laughs> They're quite different, aren't they? I mean, there's similarities between an airplane and a boat, but then I saw a boat. And then I, then I got this prophetic word all about this boat. And it's like God had a concept that he wanted to communicate, and I'm struggling. And so God is understanding. And it's, that's why it says about relationship. So I'm saying, Lord, I don't get that bit. And God's like, okay, I'll give it to you like this, and you'll, you'll understand this. Why is it like that? I don't know, but it's about relationship. It's about God interacting with us. This is the wonderful thing about being a Christian. It's about our relationship. It's a living, real, vital relationship with God. We don't pray to idols. We don't pray into the air. We don't hope he's real. We know he's true. He's come to us. He speaks to us. We feel his presence. We have a sense of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing, and <clears throat> being a Christian. And so <clears throat> this, this emphasis, it frees us up to have a go and to experiment, and also to make mistakes, okay? We learn by making mistakes, and it's okay to get things wrong. It's okay. You're not going to be perfect. Every prophecy that you ever give is not going to be perfect. Some of it will be good, and that's from God. Other bits will be you and your baggage, or you and your thoughts, or some good ideas maybe, but maybe not spirit-inspired. It's a mixture. And that sounds like a bit of a mess <clears throat> until we understand that we, the person you, you're, you're prophesying over has the Holy Spirit, assuming they're Christian, 
and that they have the ability to weigh and sift, which is why Paul says, hold on to what is good. So don't hold on to everything. Just hold on to what is good. When prophecy comes, hold on to what is good because this emphasis has shifted now to the person receiving the word. So it frees up the prophesier. It frees up the prophet, if you like, use a different word. <clears throat> it frees us up um, to have a go. Because in the old covenant, you didn't get a chance to have a go. I mean, I don't know if Ezekiel, you know, would practice on his wife or something. Say, I've got this word for Israel. What do you think? You sit there. I'm going to give it. Oh, no, no, Ezekiel. No, no, you're far too harsh. <clears throat> I know if I did that with Sue, we'd never get anywhere, would we, dear? Um, <laughs> sometimes I show her things in sermons. She said, no, you can't say that. You can't possibly say that. Okay, I'll scrap that. Uh, anyway, because her... Yeah, her conscience is very different to mine. Um, so, 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 you know, it's not how it was in the Old Covenant. They heard God in a way that meant to say, thus says the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. And Israel just received it. So in a way, in the Old Covenant, they're more like, prophets are more like the lawgivers. They're more like the enforcers of God's law. The reminders of God's law, remembering that God's law came from a prophet anyway, because it came from Moses, who went up a mountain and came back with stone tablets. He's a prophet, isn't he? And, um, and so Old Covenant and New Covenant are completely different. I've got a whole teaching on that, but we're not kind of doing that tonight. But I love that. I love that difference. I don't know where I'm in here now. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's okay to get some stuff wrong. But it's helpful to create an environment where we can make mistakes and grow on our gift. And so tonight, I'm hoping that this is a good environment for us to have a go. Give it a, give it a shot. See how you get on. And that's what we're going to do in a moment when we break down into some groups. We're going to have a go. Um, and what I do at home and what I encourage churches to do is I say, why don't you get prophetic people together and maybe meet once a month or however often you want to meet and together have a go. Have a go over a number of months because it begins to sharpen the gift. It's like a muscle. You start using a muscle, then you get quite good at that muscle and you get it, you get it fit. Well, that's what prophecy is like. It's like a spiritual muscle. And the more you have a go, um, you, you actually get, get clearer and clearer with it. And it's good to have an environment where you can do that, sometimes away from the public gaze. Because a lot hangs on a Sunday morning, isn't it? If you feel you've got a word and you want to come and, and Nigel's at the front, and you're going to ask Nigel, can I have the mic? I've got to share a word. It's only, only a, a small amount, number of people in the church are going to be, have, be bold enough to actually do that. You need to be able to grow in your gift. And there's lots of settings to grow in your gift. And most of those settings are not like big Sunday morning gatherings. It's when you are amongst friends. Five, six, seven, eight people you know well. I can have a go. I'm loved here. It's okay if I make a mistake. It's not going to be, I'm not going to be frowned upon. I'm not going to be judged. So that would be my encouragement uh, to you. Um, so don't start prophesying with thus says the Lord, okay? Because you are not an Old Testament prophet. I can categorically say that. Uh, I know that's true. Because the Old Testament prophet was fulfilled in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of prophet and priest and king. That's why we're called a priestly people. We're a kingly people. We're a prophetic people. It was fulfilled in Jesus. So when I prophesy, I say something like, I believe God is saying, or I think God is saying. I say it with a little bit of humility. I say it with an opportunity for people to Maybe receive it, but maybe they don't because they're, they're, they're not feeling that's from God. I've got to give people permission um, to, to not accept my word. I've got to give people permission. Rodney, I think you've got it wrong then. And that's okay. It's okay with me. It's okay with you. We've got to get to that place. I've seen people really kind of like um, 
I know, really bound up with prophetic words that said big things over their life that were really unhelpful and actually stifle growth rather than bring them into, into growth. So you've got to bring the prophetic with real humility, presenting it before somebody and they have the opportunity and they have permission to agree or disagree with it. Um, yeah, so the fifth thing then, last thing. Some ways is good water. <clears throat> the last thing is this. <clears throat> Prophetic ministry is rooted in the Father's love. Um, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, pursue love. It's all about love. But it's okay to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's not wrong to want spiritual gifts. To want them for the right reason. The reason you want a spiritual gift is because you're pursuing love. You're pursuing God's love for somebody else. But Paul is saying, especially that you may prophesy. So he seems to be elevating prophecy in that moment. So desiring to prophesy over somebody is to pursue the love of God for that person. It's all about love. Okay? So as we speak, uh, as we speak on God's behalf... We should have his spirit of love coming from our hearts and our motives, okay? Remember, God took the spirit of Jesus and anointed us with that same spirit. So your prophecy comes with the spirit of Jesus embedded in it, okay? And prophecy not coming with Jesus' spirit of love is not from God. Now, that doesn't mean to say there can't be prophecies that are challenging um, or thought-provoking, but you've got to be able to sense the love of God in it, For it, I think, for it to be genuine. A guy called Dan McCollum, one of my favorite authors in prophecy, he's written a lovely little book called Love and Prophecy, a little red book. Uh, in my own church, I'm doing it this term. I, once a year, I take a group of people through the book. Um, they're really short chapters, and it's a brilliant book. It's the best book I've ever read on prophecy. Love and prophecy. And this is what he says in that book. He says, prophecy is not meant to uncover what is not honorable, but to find buried treasure. Okay? It's not meant to uncover what is, what is not honorable. So we don't use prophecy to confront sin. We use the scripture for that. If we know somebody is in sin, then actually we bring the word of God. And we say, well, this is what the Bible says. We never use prophecy. That's manipulation. That is unhelpful, okay? Prophecy is not meant to uncover what is not honorable, but to find buried treasure. That's why I said, I corrected my notes. Uh, uh, that's why I said if somebody comes in the meeting, it's about them knowing I'm loved by God. It's somebody finding some buried treasure in there, if you like. So it's not there to expose sin or personal weakness. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love does not dishonor others if love doesn't dishonor others and prophecy is pursuing love then prophecy does not dishonor other people so important you don't want to create an environment where you come into a room and you don't know what's going to be prophesied and it might be suddenly this is the day all my sins suddenly get put up on the big screen that's not a very encouraging environment 
Um, I remember years and years ago, I, I, I was in Eastbourne, actually, at the time. It was a very strange setting. It was, it was during the Toronto Blessing, if some of you can remember the Toronto Blessing. And um, all sorts of strange, weird, and wonderful things were happening in the church. And there was this lady. She was very accurate with prophecy. But, but she did a strange thing. She'd prophesy, then she'd spit in a bucket. She'd prophesy, spit in a bucket. It's weird, isn't it? Prophesy, spit in a bucket. Now, that is totally, ooh, what's that? But I tell you, she was so accurate. So we allowed her to spit in the bucket for the sake of the accurate prophecies. We had a big bucket there, and the more we, the more we had to carry that away, we knew we'd got a lot of good prophecies. Anyway, I went, she, she called me forward. Spat in a bucket, and then she gave me a word. And um, she prophesied the most loving things into my heart about, it was about, God has given you good, put good soil in your heart and, 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 and good things are going to take. It was along those kind of lines. And she talked about preaching and that. And I had never preached before or anything. I came away so um, thinking how wonderful God was because the prophecy had just spoken such treasure in my heart that it, it, it just made, brought me alive in God. It was such a great thing. And I thought afterwards, I thought, of all the things God could have said about my life that I know weren't good, he says this wonderful good thing. That's what prophecy is about. It's not about telling you about all the bad things in your life. It's about bringing out buried treasure. Um, And it shows that we're known by God. Love always protects That's the NIV, or the NASB says, love keeps every confidence. So prophecy is going to be a protective gifting. Um, Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I mean, that's a pretty good gift. The gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. So I'm top of the game, top of the prophetic game, but do not have love I am nothing. See, it's not the big gift that impresses God. It's not the big prophetic gift. It's not the big accurate gift that that impresses. It's the love. It's the love. Have you got the love of Jesus embedded in the words that you bring? Because you have the same, God's taken the same spirit that rested on Jesus and placed it on you. So the gift of prophecy without love is a nothing gift. Without love, prophecy is open to abuse and manipulation. So never receive a prophecy that makes you feel small or hopeless or guilty. Just don't receive it. That never came from God. You go away feeling smaller than you were before. You go away feeling there's no hope. You go away feeling guilty. Just reject it. That's not from God. There was a guy a long time ago in our church, not been in the church for years and years and years, and um, he used to bring words, but they always make you feel a bit small at the end. They'd always make you feel a bit guilty. They always make you feel a little bit, they'd start well, but then they'd, they would feel, end up feeling, make you feel, you go away feeling like, oh, okay, oh dear, oh dear. I didn't understand at the time. I now know that wasn't coming from God just because it has been couched as a prophetic word. If you're not sure about it, you should still be able to sense the love of God or that uh, comes from a heart of love. And my last piece of advice, and I mean this, never prophesy over somebody you don't like. Just don't do it. 
Don't prophesy over anger, only out of love. And you laugh, but it's happened to me. I won't tell you who this person is. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a well-known UK leader, much bigger gift than anything I've ever had. Um, and um, I spent some time with him, and I didn't get on with him. <laughs> and I wasn't completely happy with him. And then I got this word. And this word was about him decreasing and another leader increasing. And I felt God say, you must not give that word. I wrote it out. I thought, I'm sure this word is right. But I wasn't allowed. I didn't feel any permission to give it. So um, it was like, you know, like a helium balloon. I wasn't allowed to let the helium balloon go. So I like tied it to my belt, as it were, metaphorically speaking. And I walked around for six or eight months with this prophetic word. Um, but what happened in the meantime is suddenly um, another setting, this leader said to somebody else, there's something wrong with Rodney. He done, we don't get on. Um, he's got something against me, hasn't he? Um, and so he came and saw me. And we met up at a hotel and we had lunch. And I basically repented. And I said, I'm so sorry. You are right. I have had something against you. And whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter what the detail is. And I repented and I dealt with it I asked for his forgiveness and it's all sorted and it was all dealt with then I felt God say now you can give the word but I didn't give the word to him I gave it to somebody else I I, I can't explain it but the reason why it went to somebody else not to him the same day um, from the other side of the world this person gets the same word about this guy from somebody else so he gets so he gets the word from me in the UK a leader in another country. He also gets the word from du- the same word from Dubai that same day about the leader. And the night before, this guy wakes up and God gives him the scripture: "You must decrease while Jesus, you know, John the Baptist. He must, he, I must decrease while he must increase." And so the timing was incredible, but actually I wasn't allowed to give it while my heart was bad, even though the word was right. It was the wrong word until my heart was right. And sometimes you might be accurate, but you know what? If it doesn't come from a heart of love, don't give it. It doesn't matter how accurate it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. Actually, God's more concerned about your heart of love. Pursue love uh, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, that's all the notes I want to do. How are we doing? That's all right. Got a bit of time. In a moment, we're going to break down into groups. Uh, we're going to have to move some chairs around and um, have a bit of fun. I'm not sure how many people are here. We'll have to work that out in a minute. Are there any questions? Has anybody got any questions about anything I've said? Yeah? Well, yeah, obviously, um, a word of knowledge that says you've got a bad foot isn't going to be written in the Bible. So, um, so uh, something like that, it's, it's, more, it's more to do with, um, you know, as long as it's not contradicting anything that's that's in Scripture. Um, so let me give you, um, I don't know if I can give you this example or not, but um, in our church once in the past, we pulled up somebody who prophesied about divorce. And we said, no, that isn't really a helpful thing to do and has proved not to be true at all. This is a long time ago. Um, so... I kind of, yeah, obviously there's lots of things in Scripture that aren't 
you know, it's, it's the general tenure of what Scripture teaches. So, you know, God is a God who wants to heal. So I think, therefore, a word of knowledge about healing is fine. Um, by the way, the person who gets the word of knowledge isn't necessarily the person that should pray for the healing. We often assume it is. But in that list in 1 Corinthians 12, one person has a, has a gift of knowledge, another has a gift of healing. And sometimes I think we should just think a little bit more about who is it that, yeah. So uh, it's just, it, it's obviously, it's, 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 so prophecy isn't just quoting scripture is another way of saying it. It's not just repeating scripture. Um, let me give you an example. Um, it's a silly example, but I, I'm not very good at thinking of stuff off the top of my head. But if somebody, um, you know, says actually, um, uh, they prophesied like, we've got to go and sacrifice bulls at the temple again. Now, we could say, no, no, that's not true. Okay, that may have been uh, relevant for an old covenant setting in Israel, but that's not now relevant in the new covenant. So it's not in line with, you know, Scripture and New Testament teaching. So it's kind of that kind of thing, really. I haven't really answered very well, but hopefully that's helped a little bit. Yeah, about prophesying about matches, hatches, and dispatches. So, in other words, about marriage, about births, and about deaths. Um, I would avoid them, if at all possible. Um, who wants to prophesy about death? I mean, that isn't really <laughs> going to be a, uh, an encouraging thing. Um, I, I think you have to be really, really careful, and I would avoid that. I would always counsel avoiding that. Having said that, you know, there are moments um, I felt very strongly there was a lady in the church who, by the way, I know really well. I know her really, really well. And she would very easily say, Rodney, you're just talking rubbish. You know, she'd be happy to say that to me and, and I'll be fine with that. So there was a thing about she's often coming forward for healing. She has multiple illnesses. And I just really felt in God to say to her, I took somebody else with me, I don't think God is going to heal you. I think actually... There is a grace on you to glorify God in your illness. So that kind of comes close to that sort of thing. But that's a very rare thing. And I would never, ever do that with somebody I didn't know, that I didn't have a relationship with. And hopefully she felt there was a heart of love in it because I felt God was saying, you know, you, you, know, you just shine my glory through all your suffering and difficulties and for all your challenges. You know, there is such glory going to God. So... Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tend to, I mean, prophesy marriage, that's really, no, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. Um, yes, that can happen. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, I used to know a guy in my Eastbourne days many, many years ago now, and um, uh, he was moving to another town away from the church, uh, he had a fiance, and he was going to move to, uh, it wasn't far from here actually, but it wasn't Swindon. Um, and um, I, I was having conversations with him, and I kept saying to him, uh, you need to find a good church. Where you go, you need to find a good church. He said, yeah, 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 I'll find a good church. Don't worry, I'll find a good church. But what's more important is I get my life established, I get my marriage established, I get a job established. I said, yeah, yeah, but you need to find a good church. You must find a good church. And he, we had this kind of banter going. I knew him quite well again. And, um, and, and, and then apparently, because I had to be told this later on, I had to be told this years later, apparently 
The last conversation I had with him, I was on the phone. He had already moved. He had settled in this new town. He had not found a church. It was a big town. So there's no reason why there shouldn't be a church of some description there that's going to be helpful. And I, 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 um, I'll use his name because nobody will know his name. I, I, said, I said, Ross, if you don't find a good church, 13 years will pass and you will wonder what has happened to my life. I had an email from him 13 years later. Honestly, out of the blue. Hi, Rodney, do you remember me? You know, blah, 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 we used to know each other. He then recounted that conversation. He said, I was so angry with you. I was really annoyed when I put the phone down. He said, do you know what's happened? He said, my marriage failed. I lost my job. I went bankrupt. I lost my faith. I'm only just coming back to God. And I'm just beginning to redate my, my wife, my former wife, redate her again. He said, Rodney, do not stop giving your prophetic warnings, he said. 13 years has passed. Why did you say 13? But I am now coming back to God. Now, I, the thing is this. I had no idea I was giving a prophetic warning. I thought I was giving a bit of useful advice. I thought I was just trying to be helpful, probably a bit frustrated on the end of a phone. I was definitely not saying, thus says the Lord, 13 years will pass and you will, you know, I never said anything, but it turned out to be a warning. So I think as a prophetic people, sometimes when we're, you know, un understanding and using biblical principles in the right way. So obviously, you know, I'm saying to him, you need to be in a local church. You need to be part of a local family. You need to be connected as a body. Christians, Christians are not meant to operate on their own. They're meant to be in a church setting. And if you don't do that, then I was, I didn't use the word, but I'm kind of saying you're going to, you, you're in danger of shipwrecking your life. That's sound Christian advice, actually. Uh, and that's all I'm giving. So I would say that was backed up really by you know, by good teaching in the Bible. I had no idea it was a warning. So sometimes there are. I would be wary of somebody who gives out specific warnings. Like, I've got three warnings here. I've got a warning for you, a warning for you. And I'd run a mile. <laughs> but it's true that sometimes God will warn people through you or through me. And it may turn out to be incredibly prophetic, but I wouldn't pursue it. Um, so hopefully that's answered that. Any other Questions? Oh, and I was flabbergasted at that one. I never expected it. Yes? That's a really, really good question. So what I say with congregation, I say, before you come and bring a word from the front, you need to ask some questions about it. I need to ask questions like, is this word just for me or is it for other people? Do I know who this word, if it's for other people, do I know who it's for? If so, go and speak to them with somebody else. Don't feel like you have to come to the front. Is it for now or is it another setting? So it's always good to ask questions about prophetic words. So this is what it is about a relationship with God. So I would say, ask God. Ask God and say, Lord, is this for me or is this for other people? And see what God says. Because you've already heard the voice of God. God has said something to you. I would say, prophetically speaking, if it is for you, I would say, just keep it to yourself. Don't come sometimes, and we have, I'm not going to, I could name one or two people in my setting. They come forward with prophetic words. I say, well, this was for me, but it might, it might bless other people. I kind of want to push that one away in a little bit and say, actually, I want something a bit more definite that is for others. 
Um, so you just have to ask God the question. Um, and I think you kind of know if it's for you. Um, because if it's not for you, you kind of know this, is, this isn't really, this isn't pertaining to me. This isn't relevant to me. But it's good to ask the question. What you could do, you could ask somebody else. You could share it with a close friend or even one of the leaders and say, I got this prophetic word. I wasn't sure whether it's for me. And, and help other people kind of weigh that with you. Um, so there's no, it's a learning process. There's no hard and fast rule. There's no crib sheet that you can work through and, or no, 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 no like flow diagram. You go around there that, oh, great, ding. That's okay. It's other people, dong. Okay, that's for me. You can't do it like that. It's about relationship. It's about just, you know, talking to the Lord and having a sense of what you feel or what you don't feel. And it's fine to run it past other people. So I haven't, I don't know how much I've helped you, but it's good to ask those questions. Sometimes God will be speaking to you. The other thing is to say, well, Lord, if it's for me, then, you know, let somebody else suddenly give this word to me. There's <clears throat> another way of dealing with that. And you can hold on to words. They haven't got to be brought immediately. So you can wait for a week. You can wait for two weeks. And then begin, I think, sometimes if it's a bit misty, the mist will clear and you'll have some clarity on whether it was for you or whether it is for somebody else. If it's for somebody else, you can ask God specifically. So who is it for, Lord? Is it for somebody else? Lord, put them on my heart or give me a circumstance where I can, uh, where I will know, oh, this is for somebody else. So that's kind of what I would do with it. Any other? Yep. Um, no, no. So I, I really like, <laughs> like, I love prophetic art, which is another form as well. <laughs> Um, where somebody, you know, will just kind of be led by the Spirit and, and, um, and paint something. But unless there is an explanation of that, it remains a personal thing to the person that painted it. So in terms of prophetic dancing, um, uh, there was a lady dancing with the flags. It was lovely. She's, she's, she's enjoying the presence of God. I think it, I think it raises us. It gives us a a greater feel of, of the joy of God. But it, 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 and unless there was an expression that was specifically directed to me, it remains a thing maybe more like if I'm speaking in tongues and I, you know, it's edifying myself, unless there's an interpretation. Um, so I think there can be lots of prophetic things. So there can be prophetic actions. So I did one this morning. I ran around your auditorium. That's like a prophetic action. I was just trying to convey that sometimes it's not a stroll in the park with the Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a sprint. Well, that wasn't really sprinting, was it? It's a bit of a, a, bit of a jog. <laughs> a jog in the park. Um, so I think there's a place for all those things. It depends on the elders and their view of it and whether they feel there's a place for it on a, on, on a Sunday or in a different setting. I think there's lots of expressions, uh, lots of prophetic expressions um, but unless they are specifically, I, 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 I think once or twice I've kind of, I remember looking at a Bethel worship thing one time and there was some dancing with flags and it just absolutely caught my imagination. And that kind of spoke to me volumes, but, but because I actually wasn't there, I was watching it on YouTube and, um, and I was seeing what the camera was deciding to show me. Um, so unless, 
Usually I think it's probably just a personal thing. But I think there's space and room for it. But it's, it's really the elder's decision as to what they feel is appropriate. Um, I think it's nice. I think it's good when people can express themselves. I mean, I mean, in a way, it's more an expression of worship, isn't it? In a way, it's more, I think, to express different ways of worshipping God. We can be a bit bland sometimes in the way we express worship. I mean, you were saying to me just the other, was it last night? We saw something on the TV. Oh, yeah, we saw this um, Bracknell Town getting a good draw for the FA Cup first round. And they're all jumping and shouting and cheering. And Sue said, shouldn't we be like that in church? And you're absolutely right. And so I think sometimes our expressions... Um, of, of worship, we could, we could be more creative with them, to be honest. So.